0: PQBeat is the official podcast of the Parksville Qualicum Beach News. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm Peter McCulley. Captain Sigmund Sort of Qualicum Beach is one of six Canadian Armed Forces members selected to be recognized in the House of Commons as part of the Shears Canadian Armed Forces Recognition Program, and he joins us today on the podcast. Hi, Sigmund. Good morning, Peter. Congratulations on being recognized for this award. In addition to being a freelance flight instructor and a former commercial pilot, You've spent about 25 years with the Royal Canadian Air Cadet Program in a
1: variety of roles. That's correct, and it's been an amazing journey. And throughout that journey, I've been afforded such excellence in training and on-the-job training. A lot of amazing people helped me realize my potential, and I can't be more grateful for it. Tell us about being recognized for this award. That was incredibly surreal, Peter, I was once asked by a rather famous airshow pilot, Bud Granley. He was in the mess at 19-Wing Comox one morning when I was doing a summer program at the base. And he said, Sig, I'd like you to fly my yak for me to the Red Deer show. And I did know that we were the only two in the mess because we were up early and first to the mess. Before I knew it, I was looking over my shoulder wondering who he was talking to because it can't (laughs) surely be Bud Granley asking me to fly his yak. But it was, and that trip did happen. And as if an echo, when I was uh, telephoned by my chain of command and asked if I was sitting down and said yes, and they told me, I did that take over my shoulder. you sure you're talking to me? Because there are so many great people doing the same work. To be singled out along the way, I'm not privy to all of the candidates and so forth, and I didn't even know it was a thing. But I learned more about it last week in Ottawa, and I'm incredibly humbled, and I'm gobsmacked still. I'm still at the flight levels. I haven't come down yet. Tell us about the
0: ceremony in Ottawa.
1: The Wednesday ceremony at Parliament Hill was uh, as if out of a movie. I was a secondary school teacher for a lot of years before I was a pilot. So teaching Canadian history and the parliamentary system and all that sort of thing... I'm used to seeing pictures of the hill and those places of great meaning and import to running a nation, but to be singled out, to be presented in the House of Commons, that was really surreal. They took us into the temporary House of Commons. We were escorted in deep into the chambers and sat with the Speaker of the House, Anthony Rhoda, and he has a very large office, I have to tell you. <laughs> it was a library room, lots of books, very tall ceiling. Lots of reference books. Yes, I should imagine. I didn't actually scope out the spines of the books, but the six of us and our our escort, which for me was Barbara, my wife, and he asked us to take a seat at this very large, beautiful oak carved desk. And it was there that we got to learn about each other as the six candidates, about what it was that was primarily driving why we were selected for this great honour. It was really a powerful, uh, moving experience, and we got to learn a little bit about the speaker, too. And then from there, it was a lunch break in the parliamentary dining hall and then up to the speaker's gallery. We were told to be in a specific order because it's all highly choreographed as everything military is. So, yeah, we were asked to stand when our name was called by the Speaker of the House. It was at the end of question period, and we did each in turn, and then we stayed standing while the applause thundered, and that was surreal. And I looked across the way at my son, who was in the MP section My member of parliament, Gore Johns, and his team were really good about getting us some passes for a few family members to witness that event. I took a moment to glance over to them as well, and it was really out of a movie. It was an incredible moment of awe and splendor, and yet I felt the weight of the responsibility of being the chosen to represent so many Canadians that do the great work that we see from time to time in the news.
0: Let's talk about some of that great work. A few years ago when we had those massive weather events in the lower mainland and whole communities were cut off, you were a volunteer pilot to help some of those folks you hopped in your Cessna 4-seater to help evacuate people.
1: Yes, indeed I did when the atmospheric rivers or the pineapple express as some people still call it hit vancouver and wave after wave i did take to social media and remind my family and friends that i had this aircraft and that if they needed some help at no cost to them that i'd be happy to oblige but when i posted that i didn't realize that i'd end up in the thick of it either that was really natural born at our local flying club parksville colocolokan flying club Word went around the table that they were looking for pilots to help move people and stuff over Chilliwack way. So my very first day was within 24 hours being named as an additional insured on this CHAPS Cessna 182, and I flew that actually the first day, flying goods and such into Chilliwack, and that was a war zone. When I say it's a war zone, it's perhaps a little bit over the top when you consider what real war zones are but it was a hornet's nest of helicopters and fixed-wing aircraft getting into a small grass strip in Hope, B.C., and it's not a control tower. You have to be really sharp. You have to fit to the pattern such that it was. And you had to go through the Emergency Operating Center to get your landing time and your departure time and so forth. And at the end of that first day, I switched to my personal aircraft for the balance of the two months of flying. I flew 49 missions. The early missions were flying people, pets that were separated by the landslides um, from their families, their communities. I was just one of many pilots getting those people back to where they needed to be on the correct side of the landslide in question. From there, it went into moving essential goods, everything from food to feminine hygiene products to medicines, blankets, water, lots of water. Some people were running out of water. As you might remember, the highways were severed for some time. It's not a quick repair. So it was an air bridge that really kept some of these communities going. And I was one of several pilots that was part of that.
0: Sounds like a very emotional experience. Was there any particular trip or any particular group that you helped that stand out?
1: Yes, I'd have to say Boston Bar, it was like several communities, severed from everything else in terms of supply. And four four two squadron had done their great work in the initial hours of the landslides with the Cocahala Highway and rescuing a lot of people and so forth. And then the mission morphed into supply lines and such and that's not really their thing. Who's going to be doing that? We're small light aircraft. We get into small spots and Boston Bar is a grass strip that's closed, it's abandoned we were allowed to use it because of the emergency situation. If we were to find it unusable or dangerous, the RCMP was going to close the adjacent highway. It was effectively minimally being used anyways because of the landslides. But nonetheless, when we arrived as a small gaggle of aircraft, about half a dozen of us first day, the local volunteers were there to receive the goods, food and blankets and water and all the things that we were flying in. And they broke down in tears as we were unloading our aircraft and loading the back of their pickup trucks and so forth. It was really a powerful experience to see the humanity just breaking wide open and the appreciation that they weren't forgotten. They were in dire need of food and water and so forth. The logistics, that was such a massive flood and landslide disaster. The B.C. government and other agencies were peddling as fast as they could. So this was a niche market, if you will, for general aviation. We just started flying cycles into Boston Bar and next morning we couldn't get in right away because of fog. That's the other thing. We're flying in the mountains in wintertime in British Columbia. So I had to fly farther up the valley and put down at Lillouette Airfield to have the fog burn off at Boston Bar to get another load in there and anxious when you're just sitting waiting and people are anxious for the load that you have on board. But nonetheless, flew down about an hour or two later. And again, I wasn't really ready for the deep human emotion, the crying, the spontaneous hugging. You don't know this person, and here they are just embracing you. And I'd have to say the other thing that was deeply profound was the Hope Airport. When I was flying racetrack patterns between Hope and Chilliwack, vacating people, uh, not everybody had a ride. So when you enter the public side of the air fence and get into the little airport terminal at Hope, people are coming up to you and literally grabbing your arm, pleading with you for you to come back and get them, telling you why it's so compelling that they should be chosen. It was difficult. I had to tell them that I had my seat spoken for on this mission, talk to the emergency response folks, get on that list, and it's hard to fly away and leave people behind. Even though your plane is full of people, you wish you had a larger plane. (laughs) You wish you could have done more. And it was just a small ocean of people. And the humanity was raw and aching and crying and yearning to be rejoined with loved ones and back in their home communities and so forth. There were people abandoning their semi-trailer trucks. They couldn't go anywhere because of the landslides and they had to park them. There were lots of stories, thousands of stories, but being physically grabbed, being physically hugged spontaneously, the pleading, the crying, the humanity was deeply moving and affected me greatly. It sounds like a deeply emotional event. And you were there for two months? The better part of two months, We flew all the way through to winter solstice. Operation Elf was flown that day. And Operation Elf was donated Christmas goods and food and so forth going up to Merritt, B.C. And Merritt, B.C. was in the news cycle a lot because... That community was completely flooded out and completely evacuated. They got hit really hard. So the bulk of our flying was to Mer and Operation Elf was just like a crowning achievement on what we as small general aviation pilots were able to contribute to helping uh, fellow British Columbians have a, a decent Christmas despite all of the hardship they found themselves in.
0: Working in the Royal Canadian Air Cadets and the Air Cadet Gliding Program has most likely
1: taken you to some pretty interesting places. Over the years, yes. I'm the operations officer currently at 90 Wing Comox, and I run the spring and autumn familiarization gliding. And just this past weekend, we had the local 893 Beaufort Air Cadet Squadron gliding for the first time since pre covid on Saturday, and on Sunday we had Cowichan Valley there. And when we asked that question, how many of you have been up in a glider and no hands go up, it's not surprising because of the we've essentially been grounded for a couple of years, but it was great to get them back up and flying. And to get to this point of this spring season, cross-country towing of gliders to Prince George and out to Oliver, B.C. and Vernon are some of the places that I've been afforded to see and be a part of. We have a beautiful province, there's no question... I have to say the program, we fly with winter survival kits, emergency supplies and radios and so forth. So back to the floods, one of the things I spirited, if you will, quickly amongst my fellow general aviation pilots was, hey, you've got to get a cargo net and tie down the supplies you've got on board because in turbulence in the mountains in wintertime, you can really get knocked about. You can have a shifting load, get out of weight and balance. That can lead to controllability issues, and it can be dangerous Additionally, I fly with a winter survival suit. Why? Because that's one of the things the Air Force taught me. They have a very old publication called Down But Not Out, and British Columbia plays for keeps. We're flying single-engine small airplanes, so when the engine quits, it's not the greatest feeling when you're in rugged mountains and you're looking at how maybe to have a controlled crash. First you have to survive the landing, but then now how do you survive and how do radio signals get out because you're in steep terrain? And so a lot of the general aviation pilots hadn't thought that through. And I helped them kit their plane better and properly that they were better prepared for such things. And I have to thank the Air Force for that kind of training, that kind of knowledge. You were a civilian flight
0: instructor for the Canadian Forces Training RCAF pilots in Portage La Prairie. Does that make you their Tom Cruise, Top Gun kind of guy?
1: (laughs) Not really. (laughs) It was an incredible uh, job. I worked for Kelowna Aerospace, they're called now. It was called Allied Wings at the time. So I was a civilian flight instructor training rig force pilots on Phase 1 at Portage La Prairie. The environment is entirely military. So you're in a military base flying military aircraft, flying a military training program. Even though I was a civilian instructor, I had to meet all of the Royal Canadian Air Force standards in order to be able to train Air Force pilots. It was an incredibly sexy and wonderful job. I poured myself into it. I loved it so much. I didn't know I was working, actually. I thought I was just playing hard. (laughs) I was away from my family. It was in those years that I was away from my family four to four and a half weeks a month. And one stint, I did six months away from the family, and I kind of joke I had a Skype wife and Facebook kids So it wasn't a reg force role, but nonetheless, I was living a reg force lifestyle where you're posted away and working long hours and so forth. And I volunteered a lot of my evening time because I wasn't with my family. I could afford to do that to help Air Force candidates increase their chances of being selected. It was a great honor, a great privilege. And my military students have got to move on to flying everything in the Royal Canadian Air Force inventory. I got to catch up with Sarah Dallaire. She was a student of mine, and she ended up on the snowbird team just a few years ago. And I was on a flight instructor course with the air cadet program in Debert, Nova Scotia, when we crossed paths again. And it was just really wonderful to have photographs with her. We both were in disbelief that our paths crossed again in a very nice way. The other thing that she got to tell me was that they were flying a speed bird formation that season. And it's a formation that my son Aubrey designed for the team when he was five years old. And when he was six, the snowboard team, when they were at 191 Comox doing their spring workups, a fellow by the name of Bob Granley, actually Bud Granley's son, he was a videographer for the snowbird team, and he choreographed or lined up the snowbird team visiting us at our house in Parksville. We lived near Foster Park at that time, and it was a real honour to have them come to the house. Speedbird was a formation they decided to fly one of that year. As a tribute to my son, it looks like the Speedbird logo on the belly of the jet. That's what inspired Aubrey to shape the nine jets in that fashion. And in 2019, Sarah Dallaire was flying it regularly. And when I told her where it came from, she was just elated. She had no idea that, A, her Air Force instructor was that involved, if you will, with the snowbird history. It was a lot of fun. The Armed Forces has been a huge part of your life. And the Armed Forces,
0: wherever they are, observe Remembrance Day. And I understand one year you were in Hawaii on
1: holiday when Remembrance Day was observed. Indeed. I was an educator before I was a pilot. So one of the things that I was helping my children with was feed their interest in aviation and space. And when Barbara and I decided we'd go to Australia for a family holiday, we decided to stop in Hawaii en route and attend the Pearl Harbor ceremony. Aubrey, our eldest, was in an air cadet uniform at the time, and I reached out to the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Parks Service as an educator and told them what I was hoping to do. They fully embraced it immediately, and we started to write back and forth over the course of a year. So that was 2005. There was a change of command in Victoria, and the new commander wasn't sure if they should say yes to Aubrey and I wearing our military uniforms at the ceremony. At the 11th hour, the decision was no, so we didn't wear uniforms to the service. But the U.S. Navy was a bit crestfallen, but had us fall in our civilian attire in the dignitaries section, if you will. But Aubrey and I still did our set-up breakdown work for the ceremony. It was a really moving ceremony. We got to learn that there were two Canadian sailors entombed on the USS Arizona. Those 1,177 personnel lost. Um, So that was a neat thing to learn through that, and it gave me another compelling reason why I should be there paying my respects, not just for the fallen, but also for the Canadian fallen. Then in the parking lot, after the service broke up, there was an American war vet who had survived Pearl Harbor. He was going to another function, but he had a flat tire. And he was just too aged to do anything about it. So I just quickly said, look, I'm happy to change it for you. Is that okay if I, I do that for you, sir? And he said, okay. And Aubrey and I got to work changed the tire. And he tried to stuff a $20 bill in her hand at the end of it. And <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? This is the least I can do to repay you for your sacrifice and your time serving your country. And now you need to get going. So you're in time for your next event. Overall, the whole experience was amazing. And some months later, when we got back from Australia, we learned about a letter of commendation that came from the U.S. Navy in the parks, and it made its way back up to Qualicum eventually. So that's a little treasure that's on our wall at home. It was a really neat experience. And our cousin, Rob Davenport, is the lieutenant commander in the Canadian Navy now, and he attended the ceremonies this past Wednesday in the House of Commons. Having a Navy personnel in the family, we got to relay to Rob about the two Canadian sailors entombed, and he shared with us that as a member of the Canadian Navy, they do pretty regularly enter that harbor, and there's a whole protocol for Canadian ships when they're at Pearl Harbor. So you never know where life is going to take you, and you don't necessarily get to anticipate what kind of echoes of that event come back and remind you of that time and place in your life's journey. I'm really glad that our family was afforded the opportunity to pay our respects in Pearl Harbor.
0: Sigmund, tell me about the Canadian Owner and Pilots Association. I know you've been a director of the association.
1: Yes, Canadian Air Pilots Association or COPA has been around for 50 something years and I ran for BC and Yukon directorship in 2011 and wasn't successful but this time last year I was. I took another shot at it and they do great work for general aviation in Canada and I think the most important message that that I'd like to remind Ottawa of, for instance, because they handle aviation as a federal entity, is we need to protect the freedom to fly in Canada. And the general aviation is an important part of the landscape. And I think the BC floods and landslides show that in spades. And right now we've got forest fire that's cut off Highway 4. And I just came from Qualicum Airport where the parking lot is full and people are taking flights across the hump because the long way around is just not going to work for them. But COPA is an entity that helps people navigate the bureaucracy of the federal government if they want to build a local airport. It's there to make sure that aviation medicals for pilots are handled properly and in a timely fashion. They like to remind, especially Canadian politicians, whether they're provincial or federal, of the monetary value that general aviation pilots make to the economy and the important roles that we play our local airport, you may know, just got a an upgrade in lighting, and it does have a curfew don't fly between ten p m and six am and I'm going to try and get that expanded to, to at least have landings in that time just it's a very quiet part of flight, but it's a tremendous asset to have that airport here and Copa does work to help communities across Canada navigate the federal system. It's not just pilots that they help, but they also help municipalities navigate all things that have to do with general aviation and flying in Canada. We're very lucky. I've been to other countries in the world where there just isn't the ability to fly a small plane, whether it's Scotland or Switzerland or Germany, what have you, pretty congested airspace over there. We're very fortunate in Canada to still be allowed to use the airspace.
0: It sounds like you've spent more time in the air than you have on the ground. Have you um, ever thought about how many miles you've flown so far?
1: Oh, gosh, yes, but that would be quite a project to try and figure it out. I did track enough for the floods and landslides, and it was over 6,000 miles flown across 49 missions And I've got a bit of data on that. I don't have it all memorized. I do know that I'm approaching 13,000 landings, about 8,000 hours, some of which is military and some of which is civilian, some of it airline. And having been an educator first and a flight instructor second, I've been afforded to work in some pretty demanding environments. So my signature block at three Canadian forces, one of them was uh, excellence in training yields excellence on mission. And another signature block I coined was excellence is a direction, not a destination. And that mixed bag of flying experiences afforded me to be a fairly effective instructor when it comes to training either military pilots, airline pilots or local general aviation pilots.
0: Is air cadets a good place to start for young
1: people who might be interested in a career in aviation? Oh, gosh, yes, it's excellent. Best kept secret in Canada is the the cadet program, whether it's land, sea, or air. I stress that when I was with 893 Beaufort Squadron here in Parksville, Qualicum, as a training officer and an aviation officer, some of the exercises that we took the cadets on were tri-elemental, involving land, sea, and air cadets. And the gentle banter and rivalries and such brings out the best in cadets, They do perform much better when they have a bit of a contest, if you will. And sometimes to inspire my local air cadets, I would sometimes Captain Sort was hurting, go Army, go Navy, (laughs) and that would get the air cadets going. I remember up on Washington Ski Resort, we had a winter exercise up there, making snow caves and stuff to sleep in overnight. To get them going, I use those lines, and pretty soon the snowballs were flying and <laughs> lots of laughter and stuff. But the cadet program affords young people all kinds of opportunities, whether it's flying a glider or a powered aircraft. That's pretty cool, or very cool as far as I'm concerned. But you can get into public speaking. You can get into drill. You can get into first aid. There's a lot of public service focus in the cadet program. Selflessness and time management, all kinds of things are afforded. And we generally turn out great citizens. There's no question when I come across a path of somebody and we discover that we both have air cadet history or cadet program history, there's an instant bond that's beyond words and an elevated sense of trust and familiarity and just real positive feelings there are a few that go on to reg force work it's not the goal or the objective to take young people and turn them into the armed forces not at all it's really about citizenship it's really about becoming a responsible adult and it takes time to build that it takes a lot of really great people to help the young ones realize their potential and it's just really wonderful work
0: sigmund once again congratulations on your commendation and thanks for being with us today
1: thank you very much for having me on peter it's a real honor real privilege to everyone out there who might be listening, encourage any family to ask their kids to give the cadet program a try, just at least a try. And safe flights all. Take care.
0: Captain Sigmund Sort of Qualicum Beach. That's this edition of PQB. If you have comments or suggestions, you'll find our contact information on our website, pqbnews.com.